0: I'm Amber and welcome to Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Sam Apple, and he is the author of this book right here. And we're going to discuss about cancer and how the diet plays a role in that. So it's specifically insulin and sugar. Welcome, Sam.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Okay. So I find this really interesting. Sam is actually a fellow Texan, a native Texan at that. And so can you give us a little bit of your background and to where you started compared to where you are right now and what you were doing currently?
1: Uh, Sure. So I grew up in Houston. Uh, I remain a huge Houston Rockets fan, even though I now live in the uh, Philadelphia suburbs. And um, I, uh, you know, moved around a bit over the years, but, um, you know, starting in college, I, I began my, my writing career, and uh, I've been working in publications and, and writing books, uh, you know, for much of the last 20 years, and I, I now teach uh, science writing and creative writing in the master's programs at Johns Hopkins, so, um, you know, when I'm not working on books, I'm mostly teaching, teaching writing.
0: Awesome. Okay, so we're going to mainly be talking about Ravenous, the book. I'm I'm curious, number one, how did you come up with that title? And why did you choose to write the subject that you did?
1: Sure. Uh, The title, you know, it it honestly wasn't my first choice. We went back and forth on a few different ideas. I was originally going to call it a disease of civilization, uh, but uh, my publisher said that was too heavy. <laughs> uh, so uh, we ended up trying some other names and and uh, we came up with the ravenous, which I do really like. And um, first and foremost, it, it refers to the way that a cancer cell takes up glucose. Uh, that's one of the central topics in my book and cancer cells as you know, many people in the audience may know are, uh, unusual in the way they take up glucose. They take up much more than, a, than an ordinary cell. And, uh, it's now one of the most important diagnostic techniques is, is a PET scan, which really looks at where in the body, uh, cells are taking up more glucose and that's where you have cancer. So, um, it was, in reference to that, but then uh, I also tell you know the first person to make this discovery of how cancer cells eat was the German scientist Otto Warburg, who is um, you know the main personality in my book, and Warburg also you know could be described as ravenous uh, because of his you know ravenous quest for fame and for scientific greatness. Uh, so it worked in that way as well. And then I I also write about the Nazis and, and Hitler and, and so, sort of ravenous works in that context as well, I think. Um, so first and foremost, it's a reference to the cancer cells, but I, I hope it has some other sort of thematic connections.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about what the book is about. Sure.
1: Uh, so, you know, it's, in my mind, you know, it's interesting to hear other people say what what they think it's about. And, you know, because it's partially a biography and partially history, um, you know, people have different opinions. But in my mind, it's about a fundamental mystery, which is why cancer remains such a common disease, uh, you know, despite all the work we've done in in the last century to, to try to prevent and cure it. And, the mysterious part in my mind is that when you look back to the 19th century, uh, you see in the first part of the century, cancer is relatively rare. You know, it certainly exists. It's, it's probably always existed in some form or another, and it exists in many different species. So, cancer has always existed, but it was a fairly uncommon disease prior to you know the middle, I would say, of the 19th century, and then it just becomes more and more common and. You know, there's this tremendous growth throughout the 20th century. And we know some of the reasons that this happened, you know, smoking played a big role in lung cancer. And, um, you know, various other things may contributed from, you know, from alcohol consumption to um, sun exposure and chemicals in the air. But, you know, I think that we haven't fully explained the, the rise of cancer in the 20th century. So, I was trying to, you know, explore whether diet could be sort of the missing link. You know, there, there's all sorts of hypotheses about different chemicals in our food might be causing cancer and all of those things may play a role. But I was exploring the hypothesis that diet played a role ultimately through driving insulin resistance and elevated insulin levels. And I think that, you know, the last part of my book and and is really kind of, my attempt to put it all together. And and that's where I make the argument that cancer may be a disease of civilization, a disease that became much more common because insulin resistance and elevated insulin became much more common. And and that may be driving certainly not all cancers, but a, a considerable portion of our cancer burden.
0: So why do you think that, I mean, you went back and you explored this particular scientist, what he was doing and all, and the scientists we have today who supposedly are working night and day, trying to find a cure for cancer, but yet there's really not one. I mean, okay. Chemo does some, I guess, but why do you think that is? I mean, why can we not find a cure? Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah. That's that's a good question. It's, you know, in my book, I focus mostly on, on cancer prevention, uh, why we can't find a cure you know i would say that's really you know it's a critical question outside of my my area of expertise but um you know i think part of the answer is that um you know cancer is a incredibly difficult and complicated disease and um you know what in the 1970s and 80s they started to discover that mutations had a role in cancer and that was an important discovery but you know the original dream was that you were just going to target a mutation, turn that off, and you would stop cancer. But it hasn't really worked with you know, a couple notable exceptions. And it's in part because, you know, these cancer cells, you know, one cancer may have many, many different mutations. and you know, they, they, there's this selective process where the, the cancer is kind of mutating, and you can't really stop a cancer that way. So we kind of went down the wrong path, I think, for decades. Uh, and the return to metabolism, which is, you know, a big part of my book, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, that's going to lead to some you know, really powerful new therapies and, and certainly dietary therapy in conjunction with other therapies is looking really promising. But my focus is really on prevention in terms of why haven't we prevented cancer? And I think that has a lot to do with why we, you know, a failure to appreciate the role of diet and insulin resistance.
0: I agree with you, (laughs) you know, of course I'm not a scientist, but okay. Can you go back and talk a little bit about this person that you wrote the story about basically the history part Wahlberg and what is the Wahlberg effect?
1: Yeah. So Otto Warburg was a German scientist who um, in 1923 made this discovery that I referenced before that cancer cells have this unusual appetite, whereas a normal cell takes up it's glucose and burns it in the mitochondria with oxygen, you know that's cellular respiration. That's why we breathe, we take in the oxygen and we you know, essentially really do burn it. Uh, and it, it's a wonderful process. It gives us a lot of energy, a lot of ATP that the cell can use. But we have what I call in the book, these backup generators, this ability to use the glucose we consume without oxygen. And it's called ferment, You know, fermentation in, in general terms. And it's the same thing that, you know, that microorganisms do. They give us, you know, all the foods that we love and beer and wine and yogurt and cheese. Uh, it's just a very quick way of breaking down glucose. And, um, you know, some animals give off alcohol. I mean, some organisms give off alcohol and carbon dioxide. We ferment our glucose humans into lactic acid. Uh, so, what Warburg discovered was that cancer cells were, were doing this fermentation. were taking up a lot of glucose, and it seemed you know really strange and surprising to him because you know a cell needs a cancer cell needs a, a lot of energy to grow and make copies of itself. So you would expect it, if anything, to do more respiration, more burning with oxygen. But instead, they were doing you know more of this fermentation. So that you know was a really strange thing, and, and to this day, scientists are trying to understand why cancer cells do this, what advantage does it give the cancer cell? Um, and, you know, those are all important questions, but the, you know, the question that I was most focused on is does something about the way we eat allow a cancer cell to gain this advantage, to be able to take up all that glucose? You know, the, the simple answer would be just eating a lot of carbohydrates, uh, because, you know, carbohydrates of course, break down to glucose, but I don't think it's quite that simple. you know, there's always a lot of glucose in our, in our blood or not a lot, but there's, there's always glucose in the blood. Even if you're on a a keto diet, um, you know, you, you would die (laughs) very quickly if if you didn't have glucose in your blood. So what I was interested in particular is how insulin allows cancer cells to overeat glucose. And, you know, I think the heart of the story really comes down to insulin being at elevated levels and then particular mutations uh, in the cancer cell that allow it to become more responsive to insulin. You know, cancer cells have a lot of insulin receptors and the most common mutations of all are the ones that allow a cancer cell to take over, uh, to kind of respond to insulin and take up more glucose. So to me, that, that's really the key to the story. And Warburg discovered the first part in 1923, that cancer cells are doing this but it took another, you know, almost a full century to figure out the insulin part of it.
0: Wow. So by having chronically high insulin, it sounds like that in itself can cause or, or make the cancer express itself more, if you will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, there's some debate over whether or not the elevated insulin is actually causing those initial mutations initiating the cancer um but you know that that's sort of controversial but I think what what's less controversial is that um you know we all get these microscopic tumors that wouldn't necessarily have a chance to thrive and they those might have these mutations that make a cancer cell more responsive to insulin so if you have hyperinsulinemia you're going to be activating these these pathways in the cancer cell and allowing you know a cancer that might never grow or might be wiped out from the immune system to survive and potentially grow and grow so it's um you know i I use the analogy of fertilizer it's like this fertilizer in your blood that allows these cancer cells these seeds to grow and you know insulin is a growth factor um you know if you have a child that has type one diabetes and they're not getting insulin, they won't grow in the same way. They, they'll be like, you know, what they call failure to thrive. Um, so it, it, it's just, you know, it's kind of obvious in a way that the insulin would be a suspect in, in cancer. And it's closely related to another hormone, insulin like growth factor one, which um, having elevated insulin increases that too. And that's literally what makes us grow. Growth hormone leads to elevated insulin like growth factor one. So, you know, it's, elevated insulin is a, a, a real problem in terms of growth and cancer is a disease of uncontrolled growth. So, you know, on the one hand, it, it makes sense that it took us so long to figure this out because you know, we couldn't even men- measure insulin in the blood until about 1970. On the other hand, now that we have figured it out, it's kind of amazing that more cancer scientists aren't interested in this. Some are, but it's, it's still, it's taking an amazingly long time.
0: Okay. Call me a conspiracy theorist, whatever, but I can't help, but think that in in some way money plays a part in this. And what I mean by that is it will benefit people, some people to not find the cure and to not blame insulin, sugar, glucose, whatever, because it kind of goes back to what they're making money off of, you know, whether it's other drugs or, you know, uh, the food companies, that kind of thing who hold a lot of influence over research.
1: Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, I think, you know, that most, the vast majority of cancer scientists certainly are, are very well intentioned that want to help people and find cures for cancer, but that I think that's true, but it's also true that, that money certainly plays a role. Um, some examples are, you know, there's certain, there's just not money, you know, nobody wants to invest money in, in studying the ketogenic diet or right. a drug like metformin because you can't, you know, you can't profit it. So there's none of the pharma stuff going into it. So that's one way money plays a role. Another way is that the, these major cancer centers have huge investments in, you know, drugs that don't work particularly well and treatments that don't work particularly well. And they, you know, promote them and make it seem like we're having this revolution in terms of targeting mutations with individual therapies. And, you know, the reality is very different. So, you know, I I think most of the people involved have good intentions. And yet somehow the system, you know, kind of pushes everybody in in the wrong direction uh and then you know where you get to sort of more of black and white sort of you know bad intentions I would say is you know sometimes in the you know in the food world where they they purposefully you know try to muddy the science um you know you've seen that a lot with with sugar stuff over the years and that that's different and that um you know that that upsets me more than anything because you know I I think that um you know it's very hard to To talk about, you know, diet and and to present the evidence without, you know, food companies releasing studies that aren't well done or designed to confuse. So, So that's very frustrating.
0: It really is. And, and I find that very disturbing, but I mean, it's the reality because without money, you can't do the research you need. So even though the scientist or the researcher, or whatever, has these great intentions, you still have to have money to be able to, to do it, to function. So it does kind of make, to me, I, I think it's a very difficult thing. And there's, like you said, there is no profit in yeah. some of this research. Yeah, And yeah. so, is it your belief that the whole prevention thing could possibly be helped by going on a, a lower carb type of, of lifestyle?
1: Oh yeah, Uh, absolutely. Um, You know, my book, I don't really give prescriptions on what people should do, but I think that's a pretty clear takeaway. You know, if, if you buy my argument or, or, Take seriously the evidence that I present that hyperinsulinemia is playing a role in many different types of cancer. And, and I really don't think it should be controversial because, you know, obesity has been linked to 13 different types of cancer. And, and I think the insulin obesity link is pretty clear. So even if you don't necessarily buy the exact mechanism, I think that the link is pretty clear. So if you agree that hyperinsulinemia is, is driving cancer, then, you know, the next obvious thing is, well, what, what would be the way to, you know, make it so you don't have hyperinsulinemia and, and are less likely to get cancer? you know, there's no guarantees anybody could get cancer. Sometimes it's bad luck, but to give yourself, you know, vastly better odds, I think the most obvious thing to do would be to get your insulin levels down. So, you know, the next question is how do you do that? And, you know, there are different ways, but the the best way, the most obvious way I think is to, you know if you're already insulin resistant, which most of us are, is to to cut back on carbohydrates, um, you know, dramatically for some people, some people might be able to tolerate more, more than others, but um, I think most of us could could afford to, to cut back some, you know, if you're perfectly metabolically healthy, maybe all you need to do is just avoid sugar and you can get away with a lot more. So, uh, you know, it changes from person to person, but, you know, The number one thing I think is to fix your insulin resistance. And as an added bonus, uh, it will probably help you with 20 other conditions as well. So, uh, you know, I could have written a lot of this book about other diseases, but cancer was my focus. Awesome.
0: Okay. So I hear about how some cancers feed off glucose, but other cancers actually feed off ketones. Do you know anything about that or what is your opinion of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly true that um, most cancers eat, um, you know, demonstrate this Warburg effect, this overeating of glucose. Um, But, you know, there are other, it's not the only nutrient, you know, cancers also need a source of nitrogen, for example. So they take up certain amino acids and uh, cancers, you know, are also you know, they, as we talked about before, they, they evolve very quickly and they can, they can learn new tricks. And uh, in some circumstances, you know, they might, you know, I don't, I don't think this would be true of, of many cancers, but some, you know, in a laboratory setting, I believe have, have been shown to be able to consume ketones. So, you know, I, I think the um, general advice would be that, um, you know, not to assume that every cancer would have the exact same dietary therapy, and you know to make sure you do your research and, and talk to your doctors, your oncologists. But um, at the same time, I think that you know the most common and deadly cancers are likely to be ones that um, are driven by hyperinsulinemia. So just you know, do it as you know the number one common sense thing. I think would be to get your insulin down a bit. But um, you know, certainly, you know, I think it's important to make sure that your specific cancer would be one that you would want to approach with a, a dietary therapy. And I, I don't, um, you know, talk about that at all in my book, because I'm, I'm really focused on prevention, but there are a lot of right. you know, great, great resources online for people that are interested in that. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, so for preventative measures, it is in your opinion that cutting out the, uh, things that make insulin spike chronically would be to your best advantage. Right. that's kind of across the board, regardless of what cancer would take up ketones or whatever. Yeah. It's still the preventative part of it would be to keep your insulin level.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I focus primarily on, uh, sucrose on on sugar it gets very confusing Mm. because a lot of my book is about glucose and then I talk about sugar and people sometimes refer to glucose as sugar because you know our, our blood glucose is called blood sugar but I'm particularly focused on sucrose the the sweet white stuff which is half glucose and half fructose and um you know really looks like if you're already metabolically healthy you can get away with some carbs if you avoid the fructose but once you start adding in you know, the sucrose, which is, you know, has that fructose molecule, then it it really, um, you know, triggers all the problems that I think, you know, your audience probably knows a lot about the, you know, added fat in around your, your liver and and other organs. And then you start to see this process of insulin resistance beginning. And then, you know, suddenly you have, you know, many, many more times the insulin in in your blood that you should, um, for a while, that will keep the glucose under control, but eventually you'll you'll start to develop diabetes, and you'll have the insulin and the glucose together, and uh, you know which is a, a horrible combination. Um, you know, you have the hormone insulin. You know, the, 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 some cells might be resistant to it, but your cancer cells are not. In fact, they learn to take advantage of it. So uh, there is no insulin resistance for cancer cells. There's only like insulin receptivity, and more and more insulin available for them. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, drinking sugar appears to be worst worst of all in terms of, you know, contributing to the insulin resistance. But, um, you know, I, I think the best thing that people can do for, for step one is, is to avoid sugar sucrose and, uh, probably in most cases, avoiding other carbs as well.
0: Okay. Here lately, i've been getting a lot of flack when i put out any kind of a post that disses on sugar as in the white stuff the typical sugar sucrose yeah. that, saying that it's not really bad that if you have it in moderation sugar is fine there's nothing really bad about it
1: yeah i mean if you if you're are you know again about 88 percent of american adults mm-hmm have some degree of insulin resistance. So if we are, you know, addressing the vast majority of us, (laughs) then uh, you know, it's one thing, if you're already metabolically healthy, then, and you're not overdoing it with sugar. Yeah. I'm sure you can, you can manage some, but if you want to reverse your insulin resistance, then uh, it just makes sense that sugar's got to go. And if, if you're not pretty strict about it, then you don't lose the taste for it. So I think, you know, going cold Turkey, is the way to go. But but it's true that, um, you know, you can probably get away with a little bit, particularly if you're exercising and restricting other carbs. But, um, you know, I I was listening to Gerald Shulman, this, you know, one of the world's experts on insulin resistance at Yale, and he was talking about, you know, he does all these tests on Yale undergraduates, and they all tend to be insulin resistance are insulin resistant already by the time they, they make it to Yale. So, you know, it's, it's all of us. And and if we're going to fix it, we have to start with the sugar. And then...
0: I agree. Now, just out of curiosity, where do you think seed oils fall in all of this?
1: Um, I've, you know, I know that's, you know, certainly an important part of, of the story as well, but, um, I, um, I'm not an expert on that. I mean, I don't know that I'm an expert on any of this. I'm just a journalist, but, uh, on, uh, I didn't focus on that part of the story as much. Um, So I I do think it's an important part of the story. And I, you know, I recommend reading like Nina Teichel's Big Fat Surprise and and other books for more information on that. But I don't talk about it as much just because I haven't done the research myself. And I I like to wait to talk about things until I know more.
0: (laughs) That could be your next book right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you mentioned, and you talked a little bit about this, of how obesity has a link to cancer. And I mean, let's face it. Good gosh. Obesity is like one of those markers for just about everything out there. It's like obesity, obesity, obesity. So could you explain how that is the case? Why is obesity linked to cancer?
1: Sure. Sure. You know, one of the most interesting things that I discovered in my research is that, you know, even at the very, very beginning of what I'll call the 200 year sort of rise of cancer, people were already sort of noticing that it tended to be more common in people who were a little overweight. And that observation was made again and again throughout the 19th century. And then uh, in 1937, you have this massive tome by this world famous cancer statistician uh, named Frederick Hoffman. And he concludes after like 700 pages that that's the real story that what they called overnutrition. So this idea was out there for so long. And yet somehow in the late 20th century, it got, you know, kind of completely lost. And then only in really in the 1990s did these new, you know, epidemiology, these population studies start to again, make the link between obesity and cancer and, you know, ever since for the last 20 years, there's just been one study after the next. And, you know, the evidence is, is more and more convincing, you know, they've now definitive, definitively linked 13 cancers uh, to obesity. I think it's actually many more, you know, some where the evidence was a little less clear cut, they didn't include, they didn't include prostate cancer. But, um, you know, I, I think the link is pretty clear there as well. Um, But, you know, they estimate even with this sort of conservative realm, uh, conservative estimate that it's uh, 600,000 or more uh, cancer diagnoses a year linked to obesity. And again, I I think it's more. Um, And so the question is, you know, why is that happening? You know, one hypothesis is that the obesity itself is causing these cancers because our fat tissue actually is like functions like an endocrine organ and, and actually releases Hormones of different kinds and chemical signals, which could contribute to cancer. But and I think that, you know, certainly that contributes to inflammation and is not a good thing and, and may have a role in all of this. But I think in some ways, focusing on that misses the more fundamental point, which is that the insulin, you know, is probably doing both at the same time. It's driving the obesity and it's driving the cancer. So, in a way, the obesity is kind of a distraction almost because, I mean, it's obviously hugely important, but like, it doesn't mean that obesity is causing cancer. It might be that insulin is causing obesity and insulin is causing cancer.
0: <laughs> yeah. And okay. So let's talk just a little bit about diabetes and cancer. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious where you're going with all this and the underlying mm-hmm. issue with obesity, diabetes, and those kind of things. Yeah. But could you just describe it a little more detail of why diabetes could play a role in cancer? or make you more susceptible to cancer.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, just just to build on what I was saying before, I mean, you can think about it as insulin causing your adipose tissue, your fat tissue to grow and causing cancer cells to grow. And so, you know, the question is, you know, what, you know, how do you end up with this elevated insulin that that causes all this growth And, and that gets, connects it to diabetes and diabetes, you know, if you look back into the 19th century, the same story I told about cancer, Uh, you know, could be told about diabetes, it was relatively rare disease. And then throughout the 19th century, starts to get a little more common by the late 19th century, gets very common, or not very common compared to today, not common at all, but, but more common. And then just throughout the 20th century, just like cancer. Um, But, you know, even to this day, they're thought of as two completely separate realms, like, you know, it's just a coincidence that these two diseases and obesity tended to, to rise together throughout the decades. And so, you know, as I think about it, that the fundamental issue in diabetes is the insulin resistance, you know, is this problem where certain cells in the muscle and liver and eventually your fat tissue stop hearing insulin signal and the pancreas responds by producing more and more insulin. And so that, that is the diabetes. And then that elevated insulin in turn is driving the cancer and even more obesity. Uh so they're all they're all linked. I think, you know, you could say two sides of the same coin, or you know, uh, you know, it's just this cluster of conditions that are all fundamentally, I think, the same thing. And you know, if you there's a great book by Ben Bickman, uh, Why We Get Sick, which you know, he shows how it's not just cancer, obesity, and diabetes, but 10 other conditions. Uh, so you know, it's an extraordinary thing. And um I think in a way, it it makes all this so challenging because if if you're not sort of immersed in the science and you just hear people like you and me talking about, you think this this can't be true, like how could this one condition affect so many things? Um, So uh, it's challenging, but I I think the, you know, with each each passing year, the evidence that, you know, insulin resistance is at the core of of all these different chronic diseases is, is really clear.
0: Well, I agree with you (laughs) based (laughs) on the research I've done and what I've experienced myself, but for those who don't really understand some of the diseases that have insulin resistant as the root cause, can you kind of list some of those that you've come across in your research for, for those who may not really understand really what insulin resistant does resistance does?
1: Yeah. So when you have these elevated levels of insulin in your blood I mean the the first thing to appreciate is that it's almost always missed by doctors because you know in, in the first decades of the disease the insulin is actually successfully you know insulin's job or one of its key jobs is to get the glucose in your blood into the cells you know pushes it out of the blood into the cells because if you're Glucose goes too high, then that's you know horrible for your health and you know potentially deadly. So you need the insulin to uh take care of that glucose. But um, you know, because it's keeping the glucose levels under control um by by because the pancreas is releasing more and more insulin, uh, it's keeping the glucose under control. And you know, you go to your doctor and you get your blood test and your glucose looks normal, but your doctor is not testing for the elevated insulin. So you have this elevated insulin for decades, eventually, you know, becomes apparent that you actually, you know, starting to get more of, you know, the next stage, what I would call the next stage of diabetes when the insulin can no longer control uh, the glucose. And then, you know, you start to see this condition cluster with all these, these other conditions, you know, that's, I, you know, I don't know as much about many of the other conditions, but you know, the, the biggest one, you know, our cardiovascular diseases also correlate very strongly. And then the mechanisms of how insulin contributes uh, are, are pretty well understood, but then, you know, it's, it's also lots of less obvious things that, you know, we, we often don't think about it, you know, everything from skin tags on your body, you know, which mm. again, it makes sense. Like insulin can act like a growth factor. It causes skin tags to go. And, um, you know, you have PCOS is related to this and, um, you know, all, all sorts of infertility issues and, um, you know, skin conditions and, and just on and on. So, um, you know, certainly, of course, you know, fatty liver disease and, um, you know, the, the list goes on. So, you know, I, I focus mostly on cancer, but I, I'm glad other people are, are covering the other aspects of it. And, you know, also, I didn't even mention Alzheimer's, which, you know, mm,
0: I mentioned fine.
1: Alzheimer's increasingly, you know, I, I think it's quite clear that the, there's a connection there as well.
0: So it seems to me that if you end up with things like, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, PCOS, uh, a cluster of these things, obviously you have an insulin resistant issue. That to me kind of gives you an idea that you might be a little more susceptible to possibly experiencing cancer. Right. Because the more you have, the more it's showing you have this insulin resistance. So it only makes sense. So,
1: and, you know, the correlation between elevated insulin cancer, you know, people, doctors recognizing that people who had elevated insulin were more likely to have cancer, you know, that's been known for decades, but what's, Mm -hmm. it's really new and fascinating is, you know, in, in more recent years, you know, we've done these cancer, you know, uh, genome sequencing where you see exactly, you know, which, which cells are, um, I mean, which genes are, are mutated in a cancer cell. And, you know, as I, I referenced before, it's actually the ones that are responsive to insulin are, are the ones that end up being mutated most often. Um, you know, and in insulin it is you know, with, with each passing year, I think the, the connection between the two is becoming quite clear it's sort of like in the 1980s they start discovering all these mutations and signaling pathways in the cell and when they did that they left diet behind but after you know 30 years of research that all led them right back to insulin because uh you know this one enzyme in particular known as pi3k um you know that's the molecule inside the cell that responds to insulin and that Really appears to be at the heart of cancer. It's kind of like a master controller of the metabolism of a cell.
0: Is that something you can test for? Like, I, I know that like you can test and and find out if you're susceptible to certain types of cancer, like say breast cancer. Like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. You know, like Angelina Jolie, you know, she tested for that and ended up, you know, yeah. moving her breast.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's a very good question. Um, you know, there are certain inherited mutations that uh, increase your risk of cancer. Uh, to my knowledge, there are you know, in these metabolic um, pathways that I'm talking about, uh, I don't think that um, there are any that could be tested for in that way. And um, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting question that uh, I should look into more.
0: Yeah, I find that fascinating. But, but, The bottom line is if you're dealing with insulin resistance, you probably want to figure out how to correct that, improve it. If nothing else. I mean, sometimes you can't completely make it go away. Most of the time, I think you can, but you know, I'm sure there's always exceptions, but here's a question for you. Okay. Knowing what you know now, what is your protocol? Like, how are you approaching it? Because after doing all this, you have to kind of go, I think I'm going to try to prevent this in the first place. So what is your method of prevention? What are you personally doing?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's nothing, nothing too exciting. I'm just low carb, really, you know, low carb keto. Um, you know, uh, i um i'm not uh as, as strict as, as some people perhaps but um i think i'm i'm, I'm relatively strict um you know i, I certainly almost no sugar occasionally like on a you know my kid's birthday my kids get angry that I won't have any sugar and they'll like shove a cupcake into my mouth and things like that uh and i and i do like you know what's sometimes called like dirty keto like i'll i'll have like a keto ice cream or diet Coke or whatever, but, um, you know, I don't like to support Coca-Cola, but every now and then I have a a diet drink. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, um, I don't think there's one right way to do it. Um, you know, there are different approaches, but, you know, you know, if it's working, if you're, you're losing weight or, or reaching the weight that you want and you're, you're feeling better, um, you know, it, um, it's just, you know, common sense thing. So um, yeah, I, I've been low carb for, for some time, but after doing the research on, on my book, it's made me all the more, all the more uh, concerned and, and ready to stick to it. But, you know, and also knowing that, you know, with cancer, at least there, there are no guarantees, but I, I'd like to at least improve my odds. And, um, you know, it makes me, makes me feel good. I, I enjoy doing it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm all for the, the low carb keto diet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen, you probably have by now, uh, but there's a new, um, uh, research out there about how horrible the keto diet is. It is just, it wrecks your health. I don't know if you've seen that one. Uh, it, it, it's laughable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's laughable.
1: Yeah. It's amazing to me that, um, you know, it feels like this we're stuck in like some kind of time warp you know it's yeah it's the kind of stuff that you could you know have disproven decades ago you know it's just so frustrating to see that that kind of stuff still out there um Mm -hmm. but um you know unfortunately it just takes one you know one kind of researcher with good connections to get it in the media and then gets amplified it's very frustrating
0: It is extremely frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and, and you have all these, uh, you know, health gurus who uh, are married to the old research stuff. Well, I mean, technically, what we're talking about actually is old. I mean, we're talking way back, you know. So really, yeah, we have the old diet that we're doing. The, this high carb, high, you know, whatever you want to say, very plant-based diet is more of a recent thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly in, in the 19th century, they were already using low carb diets to control diabetes. So it's really nothing new in that respect.
0: Yeah. And it just makes you wonder why all of a sudden what was working now is all of a sudden deemed not good. Yeah. I, th- I think it's starting to turn a little bit. Yeah. So
1: yeah. It's been interesting for me to think about that in the context of, of cancer because there are other hormones, you know, the the sex hormones that have been linked to cancer for decades. Mm. And there doesn't seem to be much controversy or resistance when it comes to talking about other hormones. But as soon as you bring in insulin, which is connected to diet, into the conversation, right. suddenly like there's this extra skepticism. So there's clearly, you know, just this deeply ingrained bias against, you know, anything diet related. And it's hard to it's hard to understand. I mean, I understand a little bit of it that there have been, of course, and still are, you know, some people who are quacks that say, take this supplement or that supplement is going to cure your cancer. And that's not true. And that's given diet a bad reputation, but you can't, because of, you know, those people, you can't look away from all the very real science and all the very sort of, you know, intuitive connections between diet, insulin and cancer.
0: Yeah. And that's what, I mean, how long has the saying been around? You are what you eat. Yeah, you know. If you think about that, it. I I just don't get why diet has to be so controversial. I mean, it's like religion or politics. It's like,
1: yeah, you know, it makes
0: no sense to me. But yeah, it, but the
1: good news is, though, you know, it's starting to change, you know, just in science magazine recently did a big feature on cancer and diet, you know, and that's as oh. mainstream as you can get. And, um, you know, I don't know if I could have written my book, like in the 1980s, because, you know, people weren't <laughs> as open to some of this stuff. So it, it's changing. But, um, you know, it's, you know, the old cliche of two steps forward, one step back, yeah. you know, so much resistance.
0: That is so true. And it it still blows my mind. And and the thing is, nutritional science is still pretty new. And the research, as far as nutrition goes, is pretty limited and not very good. I mean, it's very difficult to do any real uh, research on how food affects you because of what you would have to do in order to get the real results. So we're, you know, existing off of, uh, surveys. Yeah. What did you eat two years ago on October 3rd? I yeah. mean, I can, I wouldn't, well, I mean, I could probably tell you now what I eat because I've been pretty consistent, but I mean, how many people can remember, I mean, you know, they, oh yeah, I ate red meat, uh, five times a week when maybe they only did twice and they ate yeah. French fries and, you know, it's,
1: yeah. it's incredibly frustrating. That's exactly what got us into this Mess is those kind of studies.
0: Even those
1: those kind of studies really didn't, you know, prove that that fat was harmful in any way. But you know, Mm -hmm. so easy to do those kind of studies and to you know get the wrong answer. So you know, I I think that's a big you know part of the you know the questions you were asking. A big part of the answers, you know, how how we got here and and why diet isn't taken more seriously. It's it's because it's really incredibly hard to study. Uh, The surveys don't work and the alternative, you know, is to do a real controlled experiment where you have two groups of people, but you can't control people's diet for, exactly. So it's not uh,
0: ethical. You can't do it.
1: Yeah. So you have to
0: lock somebody up and and watch everything they did and know, you know, where they get in sunlight, where they, you know, smoking a cigarette, whatever, because you don't know all these external things that could affect beyond eating meat or fat or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's very hard to do. But what, what I hope people will realize is that um, what's less hard to do is to you know, see the link between obesity and cancer and elevated insulin cancer. That's much you know, less complicated. And then you just have to take one step back and say, okay, so what's causing obesity? And the science between sugar and obesity actually is pretty clear. So you can go sugar to obesity, insulin resistance, obesity, insulin resistance to cancer. It doesn't take, you know, you don't need all those problematic food studies to make those connections. Um, But, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate that, I think
0: that's beautifully said, that's perfect. And you're exactly right. If you just take the steps and kind of go backwards. Okay. We know that this is, we know this. Okay. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? That's excellent. I love that. Yeah. That'll be a clip. That's good. Okay. Let me just make sure I got what I need here. Okay. Oh, let's go back just a little bit on the history, because the book is focused a lot on history and somewhat of it revolves around Hitler. Mm -hmm. Why was Hitler so concerned about cancer that he was willing to back a, a scientist researcher who was kind of the opposite of what he wanted? if you know what I mean. I'm not going to yeah. say that for censorship reasons, but.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, Hitler grew up in, in the late 19th century, uh, as did my protagonist, Otto Warburg. And this was the time period that I was talking about when cancer started to become more and more common. So the Germans uh, had, were at the forefront of science at the time, you know, really the, the pinnacle of the scientific world. And they had been sort of figuring out all the infectious diseases that were so common at the time, you know, tuberculosis first and foremost. And uh, so they figured that out and made a lot of progress, but they couldn't make progress against cancer. And the sort of whole German scientific establishment became somewhat obsessed with cancer and saw that as the next great victory. And that's why I think Otto Warburg decided to, to try to find a cure for cancer uh, so, but this is the environment that uh, Hitler grows up in. And then, you know, when he's still a teenager, his mother is diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, his, his mother was really the only person, uh, historians say that he was capable of loving, you know, and, um, you know, he watched her fall apart. It was a gruesome, you know, in those days, it was, you know, much different to have cancer. And it was, no you know, very few treatments. And, his mother went through, you know, just horrible treatments that he witnessed and, and it had a lasting impact on him. And, you know, he became a hypochondriac and, and cancer was always sort of at the top of the list of things that, um, he was afraid of stomach cancer was, was quite common at the time. And he had terrible stomach cramps. And so he was just obsessed with cancer, uh, at some points, so, you know, at one point like sat down and wrote out his will because he was so sure that he was going to die of cancer. And, um, you know, meanwhile, uh, Otto Warburg, the uh, protagonist of my book, uh, has a Jewish father, is, I wouldn't say openly gay, but lives with his male partner, is, you know, I think understood to be gay by anybody who cares to pay attention. Uh, and so, you know, when 1933 comes around, the Nazis come to power, uh, a lot of Jewish scientists flee or are chased out. Uh, but Warburg sticks around and, um, you know, he's incredibly arrogant. He. Ref- says, I'm not going to let these Nazi thugs, you know, chase me out. And um, he is tolerated despite his, you know, really provocative behavior, um, you know, kicking brown shirts out of his institute and stuff. And, you know, there are different reasons he was tolerated at first, but eventually, you know, I think it becomes clear that it was his cancer science that, that ultimately kept him alive. And, and the Nazis not only protected him, but you know, when bombs started to fall near his institute, they relocated him to this like beautiful lake house where and they built him a new laboratory. And it's really incredible. And, and I think it does come back to Hitler's fear of cancer and, and uh, other top Nazis sort of shared his paranoia. Um, you know, they the Nazis were paranoid by disposition and, and cancer was, you know, Jews were one thing they were terrified of, and, um, but a cancer was another, and, um, it, uh, you know, it's all these contradictions in one and Warburg's story.
0: That's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, I have not had a chance to read the full book, but the, the parts that I did read, which was more of the diet related parts are very interesting. So I, I'm very interested in going about and reading more of the history part of it. I, I think, I think that's fascinating. Um, Okay, so to sum everything up, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, where people can find you and uh, what other books you have out there and what you plan on doing next.
1: Oh, sure. Um, They can find me on Instagram at at Sam Apple Books, uh, on Twitter at uh, Sam underscore Apple One. Uh, so those are my main sort of online places. Um, I have my website, samapple.com and, uh, the book is available wherever books are sold, I think. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I'm taking a little break now from writing to, you know, focus on my teaching and to do publicity for this book. But, um, I do hope to, you know, continue to write about these issues in various forms. I've, uh, I've done, uh, some features for Wired on, I did one on um, NUSI, this uh, organization that, you know, was started by Gary Taubes to sort of investigate uh, the low-carb diet and one on metformin, the diabetes drug, which is, you know, related to all of this. And uh, I've done some stuff for other publications uh, on low-carb. My book actually started as a New York Times Magazine feature. Uh, about Otto Warburg, and then I expanded it into a book. So uh, I hope to keep writing uh, about these issues for um, various publications. And I'm thinking about another book, which is maybe somewhat related, but uh, I probably shouldn't talk about it too much because I'm not I'm not sure yet. Uh, I'm still sort of in my period of uh, uh, recovery. I would call it the recovery. Uh, yeah, it, was, it took me five years to write the book. So uh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it uh, was particularly difficult because so much of the source material was in German, and um, you know I'm not fluent in German, so
0: oh, wow.
1: it was a, it was a challenge.
0: Wow. Wow. I, and I totally understand that as a published author myself, but I wrote romance, you know, fiction, which you don't have to have quite as much research. You have to do some research, but nothing like a nonfiction book with all the history and the issues you have. So I get that down, need that downtime, but may I put a bug in your ear and just say, I would love to see you write a book about seed oils. That, that seems to be just a huge, huge, huge topic in the low carb keto carnivore community so if you have any interest in that
1: yeah yeah so it's not not a bad idea at all i will uh, <laughs> i will I'll let that bug sit in my ear
0: and i'm sure there's some history you can pull in there too so yeah. <laughs> matter of fact i know there is so <laughs> i think it would be a good one well uh, thank you so much for for coming on the, the podcast and sharing uh, about your book and uh, diet and cancer i think that is extremely important for people to know and hey while y'all are here subscribe to my channel and go follow Sam. Thank you, Sam.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
0: Bye.
1: Okay. Bye.